got pulled over, I would like have I would like, be sobbing hysterically. Oh. Um, but <laughs> what's well, a different power dynamic, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but like in the cops, like you're quote unquote equals when I'm in my professional role. That's and why I'm when like, you get pulled over, you should immediately jump out and stand on the hood of your car to equalize the power dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of these days, I'm just going to roll right into an intro and not make it awkward. Do it. and Just get it. Just get it done. Since Andrew is not make it awkward. Today is yeah. the day. Not make it awkward. <clears throat> it's your time to shine. Energy. 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 One with the microphone. One with the microphone. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the A Better Way to a Podcast. We are your hosts, Andrew. Uh, fuck. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Why is I'm, that? You were doing I'm such Jordan. a good job. I'm Jordan, and he is Andrew. You're supposed to say your name first. You can, no, you can say, you can say my name. It's fine. I don't mind. All right, do over. This is all going to be in the episode anyway, but <laughs> or we'll just end this. We'll just put the, this at the end of the Patreon. Jordan, stop talking about it and do it. Fuck. Story of my life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the. <laughs> <laughs> We're so professional. Welcome to the A Better Way to a Podcast. Plural. I <laughs> literally cannot fuck this up anymore. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the A Better Way to a Podcast. We are your yeah. hosts, Jordan <laughs> and Andrew. I'm Andrew. He's Jordan. Yes. And today we have a special guest, Dr. Holly. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for being here today. Jordan, get your shit together. God, this is oh, pull it man. together. Easily, easily the the single biggest reason uh, <laughs> why we uh, you you obviously don't listen to this podcast. That's why you agreed to come on here today, right? Yeah, I never heard you guys before. Absolutely, <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, we have you here because we've had some conversations on Instagram, and with your background and all, being a doctor of uh, the brain stuff. Um, <laughs> Thought it would be an she's interesting. A, she's con- a real doctor. She went. Yeah, to school. an actual we, doctor. We already established this. We double checked. <laughs> um, have you on to talk about some of the things that we hear often in the gun community when it comes to gun violence, gun ownership, suicide, all that fun stuff? Because other than uh, rather than Andrew and I just spiraling out of control, making assumptions and talking about things that we Googled, <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes it's nice to actually yeah, believe, talk. Believe it or not, guys, we're not professionals. We, uh, you know. Yeah, as much as that we doesn't emanate. doesn't the direction this podcast goes at all. Yeah. No, no. Thank you. Thank you. It's very kind. Um, we do emanate <laughs> professionalism everywhere we go. Um, but I figured it was a good topic to bring on somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. So we can hear some firsthand or at least educated information regarding it. So thank you for coming on. And uh, today we're going to solve the mental health crisis. Going to solve yes. it. We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. Um, okay. So I, I don't know if, if if you pay close attention to the gun debate uh, in this country, but uh, every time there's like a, a mass shooting or some, you know, ostensibly deranged person uh, does something bad with a gun. Uh, you get people calling for gun control. And then from the pro gun crowd, you'll hear stuff like, no, we don't have a gun problem. We have a mental health problem. And then like, that's it. They don't elaborate. 
you know, and and I would like to 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 you know if they don't know what they're talking about, I would like to at least explore what that could mean, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, and like, yeah, I hear. Does that does that bother you when when people just say that we have a mental health crisis, but they don't? You know, these aren't people who understand mental health. Oh, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it bothers me per se, as it's like it just stops there. It's like, yeah, we do have a mental health crisis. There aren't like enough professionals for people who need mental health services. But I think that just kind of puts it on. I think it tends to skew things as looking at like all people with mental health issues are dangerous to themselves or others, which is just absolutely not true. I think that's where, because if that's where the conversation ends, it's like, it's just more, I think it can be more stigmatizing, but like, I would agree that we have a mental health crisis. Right. So we do have a mental health crisis, but it's not necessarily mentally ill people. I I shouldn't even say it's not necessarily mentally ill people. It's not diagnosed mentally ill people that are committing gun violence. Well, or the majority of it, I think we should clarify, because there are examples of people that that clearly have have issues committing gun violence, but... Um, but they're definitely not driving the statistics. No, and I think the the big issue there that that I think you're trying to round out to is that when people say that it's a mental health problem, we hear this this conversation mostly after mass shootings. Uh, it, it lumps all mass shootings into the mental health problem basket, and uh, I I think it is much more in depth than just saying something like that. Uh, like you were saying, Holly, there's not enough people to go around to to provide the resources for for what we would need in this country. I, I think the system in general is kind of set up in a way that doesn't give everybody access to the help they need. But in your opinion, do you think there would be a marketable difference if we were to address mental health in this country? I mean, say it was there was a magic pill and we could take tomorrow and everyone with a mental health issue could get the help they need. Do you think that would make a marketable difference in gun violence? Oh, man, I, I don't know. I do want to go back to, like, uh, just to backtrack a tiny bit. I, maybe it's not a backtrack, sure. but um, it's, oh, what was I going to say? Shit. Um, like, the, I think part of the issue, too, with, like, lumping it, especially after mass shootings, when that, when this stuff gets all the news, is, like, people putting on mental health side sets the stage for all these, like, laws around gun ownership related to mental health, which make it yeah. insanely difficult for normal individuals who've never even been a danger to themselves or others to even own a firearm and so that's another problem a big problem i see with it like here in uh the wonderful state of illinois like it's uh you're standing there impossible for five years after any kind of voluntary admission to any hospital for any reason right which like you would think that somebody voluntarily admitting themselves for treatment would be exactly the kind of person that you trust yes you'd want to trust right uh, as opposed to, to people who are like, I'm going to stay home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. It keeps people like who would otherwise want to seek treatment from not seeking treatment. Like I have these conversations in my office like because like you're going to lose your guns for five years and there's basically nothing you can do about it. That's right. kind of one of the things that we bring up in reference to red flag laws as well because oh, yeah. we – you know, me personally, I, I have a very good relationship with my therapist, so he knows that I own guns. I'm also very much aware that he is a mandated reporter and that if I were to ever say anything that sounded like I was a danger to myself or others, he would have to report me. Uh, that being said, 
Um, there are many of these red flag laws that allow kind of subjective will to to for these medical professionals because they are a medical professional to say oh, yeah. okay based on what how what he's saying and what he's the the vibe I'm getting um, and and to be clear like they have to articulate evidence necessarily uh, to to go through with this. Well, yeah. No, please tell me. Actually, if <laughs> if, if I'm misspeaking here, please tell me. Well, I so I, I, I don't laws are going to vary state by state, but in general, um, your statatement is usually all the evidence you need to provide, uh, at least in the state of Illinois, which is which is freaking terrifying um, because I've seen psychiatrists sign off on a um, it's called like a second petition to keep someone involuntarily hospitalized when they come through the ER with the first petition, which a cop or any layperson can sign. Um based on just like the report they got from the cop um i've been asked to do that yes. and i'm like and i'm like hell no i'm gonna at least i'm gonna see the individual so it's it's assumed that because you are a medical professional that your word is yes. all they need because you're saying that they're a danger to themselves or others and that's that's all the court needs the judge needs that, to sign off yes that that is all a mental health court at least in the state of illinois that i've experienced um needs and i usually just go with that you are basically powerless as an individual that's been deemed mentally ill um, they've done studies on this too. Like they've sent, uh, you know, college students, grad students into mental health facilities. Um, the only thing they're supposed to say is like, "I'm hearing voices," and then they act normal after that. And then uh, the the staff start charting and all this normal behavior that they're doing as mentally ill, and they're acting completely normal. So, yeah. So it's like you're basically completely defenseless as someone who's been like, you know, labeled as like mentally ill. Uh, which is absolutely terrifying. It's one of the things that led me to quit my hospital inpatient job uh, this past summer. Really? Yeah. So, um, no, I'm sorry. You can, you can go. I was just going to go rant about my former job, which I love the people there. They were good people at a good mental health hospital, which is rare. Um, but even seeing like the best of intentions, just like um, basically people like just not really quite understanding the gravity of the rights you take away from someone by even voluntarily admitting them to a hospital. Um, I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that. So what do you think is the, like, is there a healthy medium between the two between, because the problem that I, I see us having right now is there are people out there who think red flag laws are going to solve these problems by allowing people uh, who are dangerous to have their their firearms seized by the authorities once they're deemed to be dangerous. But I think it also discourages people, gun owners, from seeking the help they need when they need it because they might be scared of losing their guns. So I don't see a I don't see a solution there necessarily with the current system. And and I don't know if you think maybe we just get rid of red flag laws altogether or we need to actually have somebody who knows what they're talking about have their, yeah, have their voice really in it. I'm really curious to hear your opinion on this. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I am very anti any sort of uh, gun laws. Uh, full stop. So, I mean, that's, um, that's just my personal opinion. I think they all do more harm than good. But, you know, like, like as a, as a, as a doctor in this field, um, what, what do you think, do you think that the, that red flag laws have a, a basis in, in sort of like, like practicing psychology no. or it's a sort of a top down kind of prescription? Uh, 
I think I think they kind of are similar to like uh, they feel good. They seem like they make sense, but the tr- the truth is, to my knowledge, and granted, like uh, I don't. I don't do this particular thing very much like anymore in terms of like I did a rotation in forensic, but that was a long time ago. Uh, we don't have a great way of predicting violence. Like who's going to, we don't, even with suicide, which I use suicide assessments all the time. And it's like, we just don't have a good way of predicting that and especially violence against others. And if we don't have a good foolproof way of predicting that, it's like, we're just going like, well, I guess this person might, but it's all right. everything that we see is like hindsight, and it's like where we, yeah. And I, I'm not comfortable professionally, ethically, um, or like personally say like we should take a basic right from somebody because we think they might when we do not have good uh, measures to predict it. Right, and, and and you know, talking about predicting violence, like are are. Like how, how violent are mentally ill people really? Like are, are they more of a threat to themselves or are they really just not? Uh, people with mental health issues are much more likely, I don't know it off the top of my head, um, much more likely to be victims of crimes than perpetrators of crimes, even right. what we would consider some of the more dangerous ones, like very extreme paranoid schizophrenia, um, you know, antisocial personality disorder is not going to show up in a therapy office, sure. uh, but that sort of a thing. Um, still much more likely to be a victim of crime because you're usually homeless, poor, have no resources. Um, yeah, not necessarily any more dangerous than your average individual on Reddit. Sure. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. Got him. Or Twitter, apparently. But yeah. Oh, definitely Twitter. Twitter is that's God. Those people are really dangerous. But <laughs> no, so so they're they're more likely to be victims of crime. So yeah, why why are we always so focused on on why why is everyone so afraid of the mentally ill and not you know worried about the mentally ill? I think it's because they just don't understand mental illness for the large part. Like it's like and like someone who has like paranoid schizophrenia or like what people kind of think of as like super mentally ill, quote unquote. Like you, they do tend to act bizarre or say weird stuff or stuff that's not socially you know, acceptable or they have like lack of boundaries. And so people get weirded out by that, but generally speaking, they're very harmless. It, but, and so I think people just don't understand it or they don't even think like panic attacks. People don't necessarily understand. Do you think that the uh, quote unquote, like epidemic of violence in the, in the United States or our culture of violence is, is something that's within the domain of mental health professionals to solve? Oh God! Uh, all of society's problems. Um, yeah, like I don't... <laughs> no, no, specific, but specifically, like like violence. Like, is is this a is this a problem that you see mental health professionals being able to intervene on, or is it sort of outside of 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 y'all's like scope of work? If there's someone who wants treatment and wants to change, I think yes, mental health services can help with that. The catch is like you cannot make anyone change right. you can't you can't send them to anger management and then actually change if they don't want to so i think that's sure. a big issue right it's like you can only help people change if you want if they want to change or even if that's a, an external motivation to actually change their behavior for at least a period of time like probation or something but it's yeah so it's like in that realm like sure yeah but i think a lot of it is like a larger societal problem 
you know, and some of it, like people are sometimes just violent for no reason. And people hate to hear that. Like, I think a lot of this is like this illusion of control of like, oh, like if we like say it's mentally ill people and then we just take all the guns from people who have been diagnosed with mental illness, then we'll be safe. Yeah. I think also people want to believe too, that there's like every violent person or every person that does bad things has something wrong with them that can be like Mm -hmm. clinically fixed. Yeah. But maybe that's not true. Yeah. I don't think that's actually true. Not to mention in in order for something like that to work, you'd have to force every person to go get evaluated by a mental health professional. Which is bullshit. No way. Which, hey, guess what? You got to use violence to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Because even if you made it completely free and completely voluntary and gave a deadline, like, hey, well, then I guess it's not voluntary. It's not voluntary. Yeah. Hey, hey by, this, by this date, you have to be evaluated by a mental health professional. You know there are still people who wouldn't do it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't do it. No. I wouldn't <laughs> do it because they told me I had to. So, okay. So when somebody says to you in the context of gun violence – uh, you know, we've got a mental health crisis in this country and that's what's driving gun violence. How, how would you correct that? Like, what, what would you say to them or how would you rephrase that? Oh, um, I mean, I think, I mean, depending on like the stats you look at, right. It's something around like 50 or 60% of like the gun deaths are suicides. And so in some ways, like, I'm like, yeah, it is potentially driving some gun violence, um, but not in the ways people think. They think then that's the mass shooters. But so that's kind of correct. But also not everyone who commits suicide has a diagnosed mental health condition. They may have, but we don't know because they're now no longer with us. Right. Um, so I think I would probably start the conversation with that, like looking at it's like suicide risk and, you know, less these like, you know, what people call it. Quote, homicidal maniacs, which I guess if you do a mass shooting, that's probably an accurate, accurate. description. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. you can not necessarily have a mental illness per se and do that. We just don't know. A lot of these people didn't have diagnosed mental illness, or if they did, it was kind of brushed under the rug because they were a white male. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. War- Warren Zevon has a song about that called Excitable Boy. Oh my god! I don't even know who that is, but I gotta hear that. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's a side. It's you know this little kid, you know this little boy growing up. He does uh, increasingly bizarre and erratic things, and everyone's like, "Oh, excitable boy! He's an excitable boy!" And then he kills his prom date. Uh, Boys will be boys. Yeah, boys will be boys. All right, this is a note to myself when I'm editing to include that in the show notes. Yeah, except Warren Zevon, excitable boy. Uh, So do you? Yeah, I'll give you saying. Do you uh do you treat patients? Uh, is that like part of your job? Okay. Uh, yeah, yes, I do. So, do you uh how how do you approach gun ownership with patients in crisis? Like, is it even a concern to you, or or do you is it something that it's important to you to bring up? Um. So, I mean, like legally and ethically, uh, my malpractice insurance lawyers would be very upset if I didn't inquire about guns in the home. Sure, sure. And and also ethically, it's like. Because it tends to be the um, most effective form of uh, suicide, that yeah, I do ask people about it. Um, gun owners are very fortunate to get me as their therapist, and that I am. So the law is actually very strict in the insurance requirements for admissions to inpatient hospital, which in Illinois and most states is what's going to ban you from gun ownership. 
are pretty strict. Um, the interpretation of those by most of the mental health professionals is very subjective. And like we talked a little bit before, Jordan, it kind of screws you. Um, if someone, you get someone who's very jumpy, um, who's like, yeah. you mentioned a passive suicidal thought, like, oh, I wish I just wasn't here tomorrow, but I haven't, no intent, no plan, no ideation. You can be put in patient hospital for that involuntarily. Wow. Even, even though the strict definition of the law and um, insurance requirements say you can't if they're willing to safety plan and go home with someone who will watch them 24-7. It happens all the time. All the time. Um, now, if someone wants to be there and they had those thoughts, I have no problem with it. It's when it's the involuntary piece and someone who's yeah. like, that I have a problem with. Um, so, yeah. I lost my train of thought as I was ranting. <laughs> Welcome no, no, to no. the club. That's good. Um, we should make t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, I lost my train of thought while I was ranting. I lost my train of thought while yeah. I was ranting on the A Better Way to A podcast, and all I got was this <laughs> stupid t-shirt. I'll buy it. <laughs> okay, so so you are you are like legally required uh, to to ask about guns. Is there yeah, like a well, point? Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. I was like, yeah, I don't think it's like an explicit legal requirement, but ethically, yes, yeah, yeah for okay. sure. Is there is there like a point at which you you would say to like a patient or or at least think about a patient like maybe guns are not for you? I don't. That's a hard one for me to answer. Actually, I was right, gonna right. say kind of case I, by I, case, right? I was gonna initially say no, but then I was like, I don't know. I really rarely speak in absolutes. The only thing I ever say for sure is that we are born and then we die potentially. You know, depending on your religious beliefs, but. I think definitely an outpatient. I would say even thinking through some of my inpatient patients, the ones who were so like mentally ill, like with multiple like uh, schizophrenic like breaks, um, they wouldn't have it together enough to own a gun. So I wouldn't even be worried about them per se owning a gun because they don't have it together to even own or obtain a gun, if that makes sense. So those are the people who I'd be like, maybe we'd lock them up or if someone was actively suicidal and coming to the hospital and saying they had intent and a plan to kill themselves with a firearm um because it matters what they think they are right, right. what because if someone's thought is like they're going to jump off a bridge i'm sorry my nice. shelf just fell down um oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> we're gonna keep going because keep going um if they have intent and thought to kill themselves with a bridge or meds or something like that even if they have guns in the home, they are far less likely to use the gun because their thought process is around these other methods. So I would still ask about it. I would still tell their loved ones in like a session to make sure they have those locked up, you know, extra, extra safe storage, quote unquote, like, you know, keep the ammo somewhere else, all that, like at least for that period of time while you had like that person going through that distress. Um, but other than that, like, if someone was like, I was worried about their mental stability and even owning or handling a gun safely, like just following the basic firearm safety rules, they have it so untogether, I would be less worried about them. But those are pretty rare cases. Sure, 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 sure. And uh, like, is there is there like a methodology? Is there like a, a way to like escalate that uh, if, if you are worried? Uh, could you like uh, legally? Right, right. Like, is there is there like a mechanism for you to 
you know, if you're like this guy's yeah. gonna this guy's gonna kill somebody or this guy's gonna kill himself, like oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I, uh, so if they were to kill someone else, I would call the police. Uh, it's a mandated reporter means, uh, if someone makes a credible threat of violence towards another individual under the Tarasoff Act, I have to call the, uh, police, uh, at least in the state of Illinois. Um, and then if, uh, wanting to kill themselves, um, I would call 911 and ask for an ambulance. Ideally, an ambulance, the EMTs would come, not the police. Um, but sometimes yeah. it is the police. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I, I call CPD on anybody. Yeah. Yeah. They're, that's, that's they're famously, lose. uh, yeah. they're famously very, very, um, uh, you know, tolerant and understanding people. Yes. of people with mental illnesses. Just very Rather chill. Rather than LAPD. Yeah. Very chill. Very yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the league, so getting a gun from someone is, uh, pretty damn easy. Like I could call on like an ex-boyfriend, like, for no reason because i hated him and they would lose their guns just because you said that they were a threat to themselves or other people yes and i wouldn't even have to be a psychologist to do that i could just call wow. which i mean which that was my next question on the yeah. one hand which on the one hand as a domestic violence professional i'm like yeah sure like ex-boyfriends can be terrible but also yeah. like do, do we really want anyone so the ex-boyfriend to be able to call and the ex-girlfriend be like hey she said she was gonna kill herself because i broke up with her which and then they they go to the hospital yeah. and once you're in the er you're much more likely to get admitted and once you're admitted you have a whole slew of factors not even related to guns that wah, wah, wah. are bad yeah yeah that's and a great the, way to get back at somebody it is and the thing that this really comes down to for me is the violation of due process and the violation of somebody's rights uh, oh yeah. Whether you believe in the Constitution or not, you know, constitutional right to own a firearm for for <laughs> whatever reason you want. There's no other right that we violate due process to take away from somebody. And I think yeah. one thing that I've noticed gun control proponents have a hard time realizing is the effects long term of mm -hmm. creating this kind of precedent that it's okay to take somebody's rights away without a trial. And it, it's. I understand that their intentions are good because they they think that it's going to save lives. Oh, yeah. But can you imagine if I were to, if I could call the cops and say oh, this person uh, is going to go on the town square and cr you know read Mein Kampf to people or whatever and or or you know if you're in a <laughs> uh, right wing state read the Communist Manifesto to people and because that's offensive to some people or or violent to some people then your right to free speech is now restricted preemptively because we think you might incite a riot or something, you know, which is illegal. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people think about things like that because it's so far removed from the situation. Yeah. Now people are just con concerned with saving lives and mm -hmm. you know, they don't realize that it's, you have to eat an elephant one bite at a time. And if the elephant is the complete erasure of our gun rights from, from, uh, from our constitution or, or, just our ability to do that, then that makes sense to, to put that step forward in that direction. Yeah, or whatever the say, end game is. Yeah. It's like these gun laws, especially around mental health seem to make sense on the surface. Like if you don't know anything about the mental health system or guns, which is all legislators, um, it's like, yeah, it seems like a good idea. If someone's suicidal, maybe they shouldn't have their guns, but getting the state involved is a, usually almost always bad. Um, sure. 
yeah, it seems like a good idea on the surface, but it's, um, and I can say like the, the, the hospital I worked at, and it's hard to say this of most mental health hospitals, unfortunately, the one I worked at really high quality people, people who really cared about their patients, people who really tried to think about all the repercussions. And that's just not the case most places. And even there time and time again, people just did not seem to quite get it or think about it. And I used to be guilty of this too, of like those long lasting repercussions of like, yeah, you're going to lose your gun rights. You're going to lose, which is a huge freaking deal uh, to lose a constitutional yeah. right. Uh, it's not just like, oh, you can't, you can kind of vote. Like if you happen to be in the hospital, like you're supposed to be able to, does it happen? No, but you're supposed to be yeah. able to. Uh, it's like a constitutional right. It's not like losing your driver's license for a period of time. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, and like people just didn't think about it. And the more I started to think about it, the more and more I was like, guys, I don't know if we should be involuntarily admitting people who don't want to be here who have a safe place to go outside of the hospital. If you don't have a safe place to go outside the hospital, then maybe we should admit you involuntarily. But if you yeah. do, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. And did you get pushback on that? Oh yeah, for sure. I like I'm not always the I wasn't always like the admitting like person, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had an instance where um, a some police officers wanted to admit an individual because they thought he was quote unquote up to something fishy, a black male. Um, and up to something fishy? That's not <laughs> a mental. That's that? not a mental no, health diagnosis. It, no, it's absolutely not. They thought I may he have committed a crime. I don't know. I was not judge a jury on that case, but they <laughs> Yo, thought I smelled weed. Can you diagnose this guy as crazy? Essentially, uh, I don't remember like what it was they thought he did uh but they thought he did something they could not hold him legally at the station and so they said he was going to like, harm can, himself can you do something illegal so i don't have to yeah basically and they said he was gonna harm himself and because of that we admitted him on the police report i happened to be his uh his uh case psychologist when he got on the unit and i was like talking to people and be like we cannot hold this person here yeah that's nuts that was nuts but uncommon no well, that's how, <laughs> were we both about to say wild at the same time? Yeah, wow. That's I don't wild. know if I got that from you or if you got that from yeah, me. It, but wild. Wow. Well, I just wanted to, wanted to say that must be really scary trying to like stare down a couple of fucking cops trying to tell you trying to tell <laughs> yeah. you what to do. Um. Yeah. No. Nah, I mean, if I got pulled over, sure. But in my job, yeah. yeah in the context not. of your job, you've got some some authority, some power to to yeah. push back on it. Holly's like, nah, yeah, guess- B. Nah, I'm <laughs> yeah. not. I'm not scared of the fucking. I cop. ain't skirt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Pull up. <laughs> no, if I if I got pulled over, I would like have I would like, be sobbing hysterically. Um, but <laughs> what's well, a different power dynamic, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but like in the cops, like you're quote unquote equals when I'm in my professional role. That's why right, when like, you get pulled over, no. you should immediately jump out and stand on the hood of your car to equalize the power dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> cops hate. I when think you're... that even get me as a white female. <laughs> they don't like it when yeah. you're standing up higher than they are. No, they don't like it. <laughs> They are immediately defaulting to intimidation tactics when you're sitting below them. So the the object is to get above them, and then they back down immediately. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Checkmate. Don't do that. That would get even me as a white female shot. So don't do that. We can joke about this stuff, like for obvious reasons. But yeah, but but please be chill around cops. They will kill you. Yes. But 
you know, and don't talk <laughs> to them if you don't have to. No, exactly. No, don't say a don't damn word to, to a cop. My dad was a cop, and that's what he told me. Yeah. Dude, if you heard it from a cop, listen. Well, listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> Take, yeah. If a cop is telling you don't talk to cops, yeah. don't talk to cops. <laughs> my dad never quite put it together that the advice he was giving me would probably be the advice he should have given all the people he arrested and coerced into confessions. Oh, oh that's sad. Oh, man. It is sad. <laughs> he started to get it towards the end of his life, which was a positive for me. Yeah. That's, oh, that's, well, that's good. good. Yeah. Well, and I think one of these, one of, one of the things that this brings up is that whether it is interactions with police, uh, you know, having, having to bring your kids up in a way that I was never told as a kid how to interact with police because it was assumed that I wouldn't be in a negative situation with police to begin with because they were going to look at me, see a white kid and treat me a certain way. Whereas there are tons of black families out there or black and brown families, not even, not even just African-American, but that uh, have to have the conversations with their kids coached. Yeah. on how to talk to cops because if you, if you don't, then then things can go very, very poorly for you. And I think that, uh, like most gun control that, that, uh, you know, white liberals tend to support, I think they fail to realize the disproportionate effect it has on the black population, especially black men. Mm-hmm. And I, I can see red flag laws specifically. Not to mention, you know, never mind looking at this through the magnifying glass of mental health. Um, red flag laws specifically being used uh, to target black families and black men and, and black homes. You know, if you if you as a police officer want to get into someone's house, uh, but you don't have a warrant and you don't know if they have guns, what better way to, say, to get the guns removed than to say that they're a harm to yeah, themselves or flag. others? Yeah. And just red flag them. And, and You're really easy. It is uh I don't think I don't think that's something that people think about who push this stuff. And and it's not perfect example. No, and you know, we saw this last year in, in my state when um they they tried to push a bill that would have banned carrying on all public transport, among other things. But this was a huge portion of it. And the Normally when you go to these legislative sessions and you get people testifying, it's it's especially in Connecticut, it's kind of the the same people you see. And it's the people in the CCDL who are great people and they do a ton of great work, but uh, the majority of the membership is white, uh, white middle-aged men. So that's usually who you see coming to these things. Not to mention, uh, you know, a lot of the retirees that have time to do this kind of stuff are, are white men. And a lot of the people who these bills affect have to go to work. They don't have time to to take off to go testify. But when they were pushing this bill, there was like an insanely diverse crowd of people who showed up to testify against this to to tell these people you're being racist and classist as fuck right now. And there were so many of these people that I think genuinely had the deer in headlights look because they had never I almost said they never spoke to a black person before. Never thought of it. No, they they've never they've never had to face the the. They potential. probably haven't. Yeah, I think. Well, definitely some of them, you know, wish they didn't. But um, <laughs> I, I think a lot of these people don't realize, don't look at that kind of disproportionate effect that it has on on those communities. And uh, I tend to think that red flag laws and most gun control kind of fall under that. Oh yeah, for sure. 
Do you see examples of that? Yeah, I mean, I the few so mental health of Chicago skews heavily left, um, and I've actually managed to convince at least one friend to be like, maybe like guns are okay. Um, when I talk to them about it in that context of social justice, and because they just literally have not thought about how like these communities that they are deeply passionate about serving like uh, black and brown communities, LGBTQ, um, poor other marginalized communities. Like those are the ones who are most deeply impacted by most, if not all gun laws, not the rich white people usually like, or you have ways of getting around them or hiring a lawyer to fight them. Whereas um, if you are a single mom or a single dad or whomever, like you're, you're working like two shifts a day just to like, keep a crappy apartment like you can't show up to these things you can't hire a lawyer and yeah it's um if a like uh jordan was saying like if a cop wants a reason to go in your house or thinks you're a danger yourself for others like my experience at that hospital where a cop like literally like didn't try to hide it was like we just think he's up to something fishy like he's a danger to himself and he definitely wasn't as far as any assessment i could possibly give him was yeah they That's, were just. They were just what? They were just yeah, like probably being mostly racist. Maybe they had cause. I don't know. That's also not my job of like knowing yeah. if they had cause. If they actually right. if they had cause, they could keep. If they had cause, they could have kept them at the station. Yeah, but they didn't. So they're coming to you to ask you to be dishonest because they're they're not able to. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that's, that's some cop up. shit. That's yeah, some so cop shit. that that example. Of- that, yeah, that's some really fucking cop shit. Like, that's uh, probably the best example I have of, like, that actually happened that I had first-hand knowledge of. Yeah. That I was just like, maybe he did do something, but he obviously didn't do enough for them to be able to hold him at the station or actually arrest him. So this this kind of feel makes me feel like, on the one hand, you've got a bunch of people saying, you know, this is a mental health crisis in, like, a dismissive way, in, like, a non-committal way. And then on the other hand, you've got people trying to address it, but, you know, red flag laws and, and, and these, these involuntary commitment laws do not seem actually based in like an understanding of mental health. So it seems like, it seems like from, from either direction, you know, nobody's really trying to address this problem. If there is a mental health crisis, nobody's really trying to address it. Yeah. And I don't even know how much. It's hard, I think, for anyone to really say. It's hard to get research around, like, even, like, how much is the quote-unquote mental health crisis, which, I mean, there are a lot of people who are really suffering, most of whom are never going to think about committing violence themselves or others. The vast majority, like, are never going to even think about that, not even the harm to themselves, which suicidality is much more common than someone being homicidal. Sure. It's, yeah, it's, like, People are trying, but I think it's, I think it ultimately kind of goes more this idea that we really want this thing that's going to protect us, protect our children, protect everybody from gun violence or violence of any kind. It's like, you know, why the heck do we still do all the crap we do for TSA flying? It's like, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like safety. It's like, for me, I see it as another version of safety theater to make us think we have some control. Yeah. Like when we really, the the answer is actually like, 
we don't really know who's going to kill themselves or kill somebody else usually sometimes like yeah but most of the time the vast majority of the time we just don't know but humans we have this need to like think we can know and control things that we just can't and the answer is often like we can't and we have to be able to live with some level of just uncertainty or we have to like lock down everything like you know China or something like that. And like, so we have no rights. And so like, that's the dichotomy between having a free society where it's like, yeah, people are going to do some fucked up shit because they're freer to have access to things. But the alternative is a, you know, largely oppressive state government, which I was like, you know, I, I prefer to live in a world where, yeah, like I might have a patient kill themselves. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to, try to keep that from happening but i would rather live in that world where it's like that's a possibility a possibility that um like the highland park shooting on fourth fourth of july this last year uh which was uh very near me uh i I was at the neighborhood fourth of july parade when that happened i would much rather live in that world um than the world where um you know we have no access to anything or it's not free at all yeah. yeah, so freedom's a little bit dangerous, right? You know. Well, that's what uh, that's what Russell said from uh, our episode with him. Uh, it wasn't his quote, but he was quoting somebody where he said, "Freedom yeah. is inherently dangerous. Plan accordingly." And that's that's the yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> and, we, and he'll st- go for it, Andrew. No, you, you, you do. We're in this, <laughs> you know. I, I, as much as I hate the phrase because it's it's parroted by cringeworthy dudes with like. Uh, the whole hard times breed <laughs> hard people. Hard people breed oh easy times. Oh, my God. I fucking hate breed. this quote. Yes, so do I. But think about it in sense of perspective. We are in a time now where people do not see – the people advocating for gun control do not see the utility in the gun rights that we have and the reason that we have them. But right, But in right. the time that it was ingrained right. into they our Bill of Rights – don't perspective. Exactly. We had just finished toppling – or not toppling, but, but – uh, we we had just achieved victory over our colonizers, our colonizers. I say that as colonizers, yeah. as the people who came here and, and colonized, but yeah. the people who were ruling us and, <laughs> they, and well, <laughs> we we were the colonizers, but we toppled the the, the government. The bigger was, colonizers, the other one. yeah, we no, were the good the ones. <laughs> we're the wild. No, no, but but yeah, it's 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 there was a direct all of the all of the rights all of the rights in the Bill of Rights were like you know, specific grievances we had with the, the British colonial government. Um, so yeah. And yeah, so I, I, I can definitely understand a lot of people don't see the, the utility now, but um, that is just a, a lack of perspective. It's not like the reality has changed. No, you know, people do still, people need don't to change. Defend themselves. Like, no, exactly. Yeah. And that's, you're, you're, you're blessed if you don't see the utility of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is, that is a, uh, that is, it's a privilege, and and I I do see that the majority of people, at least again in Connecticut, the state that I live in, the majority of the people calling for the gun control that we constantly have to fight back against, uh, don't live in cities like Bridgeport and New Haven, where gun violence is actually a real problem. Yeah, and people see the utility in having a firearm and to like e- even protect themselves. Yeah, and, and that's and that's getting away from a Second Amendment argument. That's like just a general yeah. right to self defense argument. That's a practicality. That, you, know, you would still like, have that right without the Second Amendment. Like you, you're a human being. You have the right to protect yourself, and you should have access to the tools that you need to. 
And, you know, like Dr. Riri was saying, like Dr. Holly was saying, um, (laughs) you know, uh, it's that that poses some risks. You know, more than half of firearms deaths in this country annually are suicides. You know, some of those people would probably still try to kill themselves without guns. It would be less effective. Um, I think we're, we're being disingenuous if we were saying, like, if we took guns out of the equation that, like, you know, some of those people might not die. But we, you know, we, we, we accept like certain risks. Right. And, and, you know, taking away guns from people is, is sort of like treating a one risk factor or one symptom, but not really the root cause. Right. There's something else causing people these, these traumas that, that make them, you know, that, that give them disorders. And, you know, some people, you know, I, I, it may not even be a matter of trauma. Some people may just have like brain yeah. chemistry that just doesn't, doesn't work right. And that's not their fault. It's not anyone's fault. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're less deserving of rights or a chance to sort of like handle their shit, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would say the vast majority of people who are suicidal or even like some definitely who've had like thoughts of harming others, like that one's more rare and more likely to be like the result of something that does not tend to get better, like paranoid schizophrenia or like antisocial personality disorder or something like that. Like it's, yeah, the vast majority of suicidal individuals um, are no longer suicidal, like either the moment they attempt or like as soon as that crisis, usually by the time they get to our door at the hospital, they're no longer suicidal uh, because they, it's a momentary thing. So yeah, if like someone who in a heat of a moment, um, it's usually a few minutes from successful suicide from like thinking about doing it to actually doing it. Most people do not seek treatment in the interim in between like the, that thought and doing it. The chronic suicidality um, is way less risky actually um, long-term than like the acute moment. Um, most of those people get better and they could totally own firearms completely safely, even to themselves. And, you know, I, the two times I've lost a patient to suicide, um, both have been while they have actually been inpatient in the hospital. So, right. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. I'm, well, I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry that that happened. Like, it, it does. Ha- it, it, you work in the field long enough with enough acuity. It definitely it happens. Um, I've processed it. I'm okay with it. It's like a fact. I worked in high level care for a long time. Um, but yeah, it's like this literal safest places for a person to be inpatient psych hospital, an actual good inpatient psych hospital. Yeah, that's, that's where it happened. And, you know, it's, it's tragic and it's sad, but it's like, there was a firearm involved. And if someone is mentally ill enough to have that drive to kill themselves, they will find a way. Yeah. Uh, You said something that I, I think about often when people bring this up there was a documentary on netflix i think it, it was about the golden gate bridge and the people who kill themselves by jumping off the golden gate bridge oh yeah yeah. but it would what it did was specifically interviewed mm-hmm. people who jumped and survived and one thing that every single one of them yeah, said I love that documentary. was that once they jumped they regretted it and it's it's a yeah. it's an insight into a situation that i don't think is well for one, it's extremely rare because how many people who who do choose a method of killing themselves with such finality actually survive, except mm-hmm. for the people who try to shoot themselves and miss because you know they do it improperly, which is a horrible thing 
Yeah. Um, oh, yucky. But yeah, gross. Yeah. But it, it is. I think it, it points to the fact that, like you said, there's there's a very short period in between the decision that I that this person is going to kill themselves and them actually trying to do it. And there isn't really a way to yeah. intervene in that moment, uh, as far as I know, because you know we're not thought police and we don't we you don't know? monitor people we don't monitor people's thoughts like that. So, the question that I've always struggled with is because I, I think if we look at gun violence, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes here, as a whole, the majority of gun deaths are suicides, and when you look at other countries that have access to firearms like we do their their capability to kill themselves are the same but in a lot of these countries their suicide rate is much lower do you think that there is something about the u.s in particular that uh, that causes us to have such a high rate of suicide well because we're america um, but besides that america uh, (laughs) we do everything the best even the suicides bigger uh, bigger, better. Number um, one. <laughs> number one. Oh God. Um, but <laughs> I. So. <laughs> that's how. Like, it's uh. Yeah. Like, I think. I believe this is still true. It's usually like white males, mid forties, fifties. You know, in the flyover states, right? Like, who are most likely to successfully kill themselves? The key word being successfully, and usually that would be with a firearm. You know, states where firearms are more accessible, etc. Oh, and successful like, women are more likely to attempt suicide, but women are more likely to attempt via means of like medications or things that are more likely to fail for a variety of reasons. Um, so like men, white males, mid 40s and above more likely to die by suicide because they tend to use a firearm. Um, I probably think one of the main driving factors is probably one lack of access to any sort of universalized medicine or affordable health care, including mental health care. Prior to COVID, um, insurance in most states would not uh, reimburse for telehealth services. So if like, oh, you're yeah. so in like uh, Montana, you might have to drive two, three plus hours to get to the only therapist remotely close to you, which... Nobody wow. is going to do that every week. I nobody, no matter how committed to your mental health you are, like no one's going to have the time to be able to do do a six hour round trip to a therapist. Um, so I think that's part of it. So COVID has helped um, accessibility in a lot of states because it kind of at least in like Illinois, I know other states too has kind of pushed insurance companies to have to reimburse for telehealth, which has been great for a lot of people to have access uh, but then you still have to have private insurance which you know is not uh, accessible to everyone either Um, so I think that's probably some of it like some of the some of those other countries you know most other countries tend to have better health care and behavioral health care sort of setups than the United States Um, I wasn't trying to lead you in like a particular way or anything it's just who I am as a person I I have to say the entire (laughs) thing that i'm thinking in my question otherwise it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me so i apologize if you thought i was i felt like i was <laughs> forcing you to say something about our no. healthcare system no not at all i mean that's just where i went um, is that an example of a very jordan thing to say that you're mentioning yeah i don't know 
Good question. That, yeah, that, that's a Jordan thing to say right there. That's a Jordan thing to say. <laughs> Sorry I asked the question in, in my way. Sorry I interrupted your answer to clarify my question. <laughs> that no, is a Jordan thing. Yeah. That's, next time somebody says that to me, I'll have to write down okay. what I said before it. <laughs> yeah, keep a journal. Keep a Jordan thing journal. No, that's incriminating. Uh, <laughs> so la- lack of access to to mental health care uh, is very likely uh, a driving force in, in our, our country's uh, very high suicide rate. I mean, I would definitely think so. That and then like the stigma around mental health. I, and like, I'm less familiar with like what stigma might be in other countries. But like, it's pretty good, particularly for the people who are most likely to commit these either crimes like mass shootings or actually successfully commit suicide, which tend to be white males in both instances. Um, mental health stigma for that group. And then it's like it can it can be actually very much worse in um, African American communities and communities of color of the United States, especially for males. Um, but it's the stigma definitely does not help. And then if you're at all concerned about like your gun rights, uh, knowing laws, you're probably not going to seek treatment on top of that. Yeah, that's a big deal. And I've talked about that with a lot of my friends. Um, can't be too specific, but a lot of people I've talked to about this. They're like. <laughs> I am depressed. I want treatment. I am afraid that if I seek treatment now, at some point in the future, it will become illegal for depressed people to have guns or there will be a mechanism by which depressed people can have their guns confiscated. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a mental health professional, as someone who wants people to get mental health treatment, personally, if um, I were to seek a new therapist, like I have one who's, I very have a good trusted relationship with, but um, those are questions I'd ask very directly before speaking to one because they have such wide leeway because like, yeah, like that's, that's a concern now. If like, if I woke up one day and it was a hard day and I had a passing thought of like, God, I wish I just couldn't wake up tomorrow. There are some therapists who would freak out at that. Right, and right. Yeah. Not all, but some. And so that's a good question to ask a potential therapist. How would you ask that? Like, how, how would you tell people? Oh, to- I would. No, how would how, like if somebody oh, no. was like, I don't know how to have this conversation with my therapist. If I'm searching for new therapists, um, as you do, how do I make sure that I can be open and frank with them without saying like the a buzzword or something like that, and that they're going to take the wrong way? Oh yeah, I love I love this question um, because yeah, like it's it feels really awkward. <laughs> as like a lay person to like have these conversations but most good therapists should not really bat much of an eye uh, if you bat an eye at all it's only because most people do not ask these questions um i usually prompt my new patients to ask these questions and i will then answer them for them of like where my line is even if they don't ask because like everyone should know where the line is um because everyone's gonna have a different line um you can just ask them up front like hey like even like most people should offer you like a few a few minutes at least on the phone or if they don't like if you decide to make an initial appointment you can just ask that like hey hypothetically like where do you stand on mandated reporter laws what about suicidal homicidal ideation you can be like hey if um if someone were to have like a passive like suicidal thought such as like oh like i had a hard day and like i just don't want to wake up in the morning but had no plan and intent like how would you handle that like that's a 
perfectly fine, reasonable question to ask a therapist that I would encourage anyone to ask, even if you've never had a suicidal thought in your life, just so you know, um, you know, particularly if you're a gun owner, um, and also like maybe feel them out about their gun feelings before <laughs> volunteering yeah. that information. Well, I think that's an important thing. Thank you for that, by the way. That's, that's, uh, I, I think that's a question that not many people think to ask. And if they do think they don't know how to breach that topic. So, yeah, like most things in human relationships and the therapy relationship, it's like, it's a weird one in that you can ask things very directly that you usually don't think to ask or don't, it's not socially acceptable to ask in your regular relationships, which is one of the things that makes therapy really cool. Um, but also You're a like, cool one thing that doctor. Weird. I'm not like those I'm other a, squares. I'm, not, yeah, I'm, not I'm like a cool doctor. I'm a cool doctor. She's um, got a pair of pit but, vipers. She just slides down for these particular moments. Yep. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's I do have a pair of pit vipers. Sick. <laughs> Sick. I knew, I knew it. I just got a pair for my uh, baby. Oh my god, the baby that's adorable. Pits. They're fucking cool. I can't wait to put oh, them on her. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, yeah, no, those are good questions to ask. Completely reasonable to ask. I think everyone should ask them. You know, particularly if you are a gun owner or think you might want to own guns in the future, which, I mean, everyone should think they might want to own guns legally in the future. Um, like, just ask. It's totally within the scope, especially if it's like an initial intake call. It shouldn't raise any... I guess for lack of a better word, red flags to just theoretically ask. Cause that's supposed to be what they kind of go over you, at least again, in the state of Illinois, like informed consent sort of practices. Anyway, they're supposed to let you know you're their mandate reporter and kind of where their lines are. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, that's something that, uh, I, I, I laugh when you said that it's something that you guys are, are used to hearing, but it's not something that most people think to ask. It's actually something that I asked yeah. my my life insurance policy uh, agent, I don't know what you'd <laughs> call it, person, because my whole my whole thing with, um, you know, like end of life care and things like that, I've always thought like that's a good idea to pay into if I if I could afford it one day, uh, which right now I'm not doing, but um, I always <laughs> said to myself, you know, I'm never gonna be a burden on anyone else if I get some kind of terminal illness, like I'll. I'll off myself. And this is, you know, this isn't me saying I'm doing it right now or I'm, I'm planning on it or anything like that. No, but, I got, I got you. You know, I, I'm not going to make my family wipe my ass kind of thing. So I, one of the legitimate questions that I had for the agent that was handling my life insurance policy was, uh, does my family still get paid out uh, in the event of suicide? And she looked at me like she got kind of surprised. Yeah. I guess nobody's, not many people ask that kind of question, but Andrew, you're you not supposed to... to say that. No, no. Well, I guess not a lot of people ask that, but I've heard of examples where somebody's life insurance policies don't cover that. And if I if I'm very open, like my wife knows this, all that stuff. Um, if if that was ever the you know the plan, I'd want to make sure that my family got paid out. So I mean, it's it's very. Re- I think we we are uncomfortable talking about death and dying and things like that as a Western culture. So I, I think people, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's a mix of it. It's a little, it's it's weird, but I just think it's the way we've been brought up. Um, but that's cool that that uh, you think people should be asking those kind of questions when they're when they're shopping around for therapists because I think it's something that if you're 
if you want to, if you if you're doing it for other people, if you're doing it to make sure that your family gets paid in case you off yourself and your life insurance policy gets canceled, you should be doing it for yourself also. If you value your gun rights, your, but also your mental health, like more importantly, let's be honest, because if you if you yeah, kill yourself, your they're... gun rights don't matter. Um, but there is gray area, and that's why it's good to know that kind of stuff because you can talk about your mental health, and even if you're in crisis, you might not be suicidal, and. It, it is it is important to be able yeah, to have or, those I mean, conversations. Yeah, I mean, even if you are suicidal, there's organizations like right like um Hold My Guns, um yeah. that are the much better option um than uh involuntarily hospitalizing someone. Yeah. Um or voluntarily hospitalizing someone without first without them first knowing the potential impact on their firearm ownership. Has there ever been any talk of using uh, non-governmental companies like that in, in your field to, to? I mean, it has to be voluntary, obviously, on the patient's part, but... Um, to, right, but to like use... cooperation with, between like like therapists and those organizations. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I would there... love that. So, uh, like... No, I was just gonna be. I was just gonna say, has there ever been talk like that, or is there, or is it ever something that would be potential to to use in the future? I mean, I would hope so. So, kind of being where I am in like Chicago in mental health, like no one talks about guns. Period. Full stop. Unless it's about how bad they are. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I would. I would personally like like. If I was to talk to someone, it's been a while since I had someone who I was like even remotely remote worried about who owned firearms um, on an outpatient basis. But like I would potentially talk to them. Like so we don't have a hold my guns um, in Illinois. Uh, they don't have a partner with an FFL partner here. But I would talk to them about like, hey, like let's at least start with like your FFL. Like where did you get your guns? Like let's store them there. Is there a friend or family member you could store them with? Like if I didn't think like you needed to be inpatient, if you had trusted family members i would much prefer to go that route i think going that route would be a lot better for a lot of reasons as again as long as like the government doesn't start to get involved in tracking these things i think that's always a better way because as soon as the government gets involved and they have lists even if they say they're not cross-checking them they still have them yeah government's a bunch of fun police (laughs) yeah (laughs) bunch of wet blankets (laughs) Exactly. Hey there, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you do like what we're about and want to support us, our Patreon is a fantastic way to do so. It allows us to improve the podcast in many ways and helps fund our alcoholic coffee beverage stash to assist on those late night recording sessions. Now, you may be thinking, this podcast has me absolutely smitten and I would love nothing more than to throw money at you. But what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you become a patron, you automatically get access to an exclusive collection of clips from the podcast not heard anywhere else. On top of that, we have a wide range of tiers available that will get you merch, discount codes, and even free gear delivered to you monthly. For any patrons currently listening to this, we are super thankful for your support and for keeping the dream alive that one day I will be able to meet Andrew and make sweet, sweet podcast magic with him in person. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash abetterway2a in the episode notes for the podcast or on the link in our Instagram bio. All right, now, that's all for that. Back to the show. Okay, so we kind of talked about, like, why suicidal people might fall through the cracks, why they might not seek treatment. 
some of the pitfalls of, of going through mental health crisis as a gun owner. Um, but I, I want to shift gears a little bit and kind of talk about like the, the, the root of, of mental health, the, or at least one of the possible root causes of mental health. Um, and this is something that's been on my mind since I read this article. It's a 2018 article uh, that asked the question, should uh, childhood trauma be treated as a public health crisis? And it kind of references a study from Europe about what they call adverse child childhood experiences. Um, and, and there's, there's this implication that perhaps a lot of the problems that we're struggling with as a society might stem from unresolved childhood trauma. Is that, is that something that, that like, it's sort of in your professional opinion, is that, is that something that, that you might agree with? Yeah, I would say I definitely agree with like that, at least, at least in part, like a lot, a lot of it is childhood trauma. So you're referencing the ACEs study, adverse childhood event study that was um, done initially by Kaiserperna Manante in like the late nineties. Um, yeah, that, um, yeah, that kind of like accidentally found like some of the most important research uh, on childhood trauma. Oopsies. How was it accidental? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I believe they, so Kaiser Permonte is an insurance firm. Like they're, they're looking at like how to reduce their costs. Um, I believe they were looking at weight loss initially. Um, and someone had the, uh, the idea to ask like, what was going on? They started finding out there was this trauma and then they started doing more, um, studies and they're like, Hey, it seems to be linked to heart disease, um, obesity, which is a whole different topic that, uh, well, I get to do, but and you know all all these other things like so like things like uh, childhood neglect, abuse, witnessing abuse in the household, all of that. Um, so they ended up doing this big epidemiological study on childhood trauma, uh, but it started as a like kind of insurance, kind of like how can we reduce our costs? Yeah, that's wild. Wow. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would say yeah, childhood trauma, especially like intergenerational trauma, um, racial trauma, things like this. Like you get into whole societal stuff that you know we can't fix with a simple like red flag law or a mental health right. prohibitor for firearms. Um, that's um, it's it's very far reaching. Requires uh, white people to swallow and lose some of their quote privilege and feel oppressed. Oh no. Um, which which even like my woke friends don't really want to do once right, they right. kind of get pushed. <laughs> they want to acknowledge it and then not do anything sometimes. Basically, or do yeah. a little performative stuff, but like when it really kind of pushes against them, like they're not, they're like, they're they're doing a minority hiring initiative. Why am I not getting it? Because I'm white. Like, well, dude, that's what you wanted, right? Like that's like how equalizer yeah. works. Um, but. Yeah, it's um so yeah, absolutely. Um childhood trauma, particularly in black and brown communities, uh, other communities of color, LGBTQ communities, um absolutely. That stuff goes very deep. And do you, do you think that that kind of trauma um uh, when I say that kind of trauma, there's a lot of different kinds of childhood trauma. Yeah. But do you think like unresolved childhood trauma can drive violence later in life? So uh, I'm hesitant to say about like driving like violence towards others like potentially yeah it's like a lot of these things that cases i'm thinking off the top of my head like i'm not sure those individuals were actually diagnosed with anything there's also like very little oh gosh to my knowledge 
there's like nothing in the DSM or ICD-10 that specifically references like right. actual violence towards others. So therefore it's like, we don't even have a good diagnosis yeah. for that. Oh, um, yeah. well, but, but it, we know that, you know, I, we know that like it can, it can cause uh like substance abuse problems, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So a huge link to substance abuse, um, definitely like a link to uh, perpetration of domestic violence, things like that. Um, and childhood traumas or any sort of trauma is like, can be a contributing factor to violence towards others, especially like, domestic violence is where I'm going to have like the most knowledge, um, professionally. Um, and it's also one of the, it's not an excuse. It makes sense. People make right. sense. Like my big thing is all people make sense. Even behaviors we think are completely nonsensical, violence towards others, violence towards yourself, all make sense in the context of which that person came from so trauma was probably adaptive growing up to push back with some violence towards others or the only way you knew how to cope was self-harming and that potentially saved your life in that way um but then no longer as it becomes a repeated pattern and you're out of that cycle like if you're repeating violence towards others or yourself it's no longer adaptive and that's where it becomes problematic yeah and I, and I think, you know, something you said there, too, is self-harm. I think if we're going to be consistent when gun control advocates talk about ending gun violence, they they tend to be talking about school shootings and mass shootings and things like that. But they use the entire statistic for everyone that's killed, for, for every person who's died at the end of a gun. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to... Uh, I think it's important to include suicide in that violence statistic because uh, if if we're going to, sorry, I realize I just wrote something in the wrong uh, the wrong chat. I was trying to say something to Andrew as a note while you were talking, but um, <laughs> I I think it's it's important to to say like okay, if we're going to address gun violence as a whole, and if we're trying to figure out where violence comes from, and if a large part of it has to do with generational childhood, racial trauma, any kind of un, un uh, resolved issues like that. Um, then we have to find out is suicide, a, 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 a the result of a lot of that also are people killing themselves because of unresolved trauma. And um, I would say, I would say just as somebody who has no idea what they're talking about, probably yes, because they're in crisis when they're kill- when they choose to do that. But if if that's something that we can figure out and and say, okay, well, this is this is where it's coming from, and we can identify things that have happened to people, and then you know maybe certain types of I don't want to say demographics because then it it gets into a weird area there, but you know this well, this right. portion so, of so we don't even need to really. Sorry, never mind. I'm interrupting. Go ahead. No, that's okay. You know, if if we can if we can say like this type of trauma uh, was was experienced by this percentage of people who ended up killing themselves, um, then we know for the most part, you know, based on. I guess we don't though. That's the thing because I, I'm just trying to think if there's a way to address the trauma that happened to somebody. You can make or, a guess. Yes, or at least you know, like a like a like a, you know, when you're. I'm trying to not go go too far off topic, but. If there's a way to figure that out, then then there's a way to lower suicides, lower the number of suicides, and that would effectively lower the final number of gun deaths in this country. 
Does that make sense? Or am I am I talking out my ass? I mean, I think so. I think you're saying like if there's a way to identify um, what's going to make someone more likely to kill themselves and treat that piece, then we could potentially by extrapolation lower the number of gun deaths since the most number of gun deaths are committed by suicide. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Jesus fucking Christ. All right, we this is there, this boys. is some homework. We, for, we got there. Thank you. This is some homework for people who are listening. That's to like this an, right that's now. like an English if, class homework. Like, yeah. like please pick apart the parts pick of this the run-on sentence. sentence. <laughs> a, your example. B, whatever the fuck I just said. This is some homework for the people who are listening to right now. If you think that my uh, way of answer asking questions is fucked up and problematic, please leave us a five star review. <laughs> And uh, and <laughs> yeah, and please, say, yeah, please, please leave us a five star review. Five star reviews, and then we'll know. Then we'll know. <laughs> All five star. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, sure. And like myself included, all mental health professionals would love to reduce the number of suicides, and um, we just do not have a good way, despite that being a pretty decent, as far as mental health goes, funded aspect of our job like once we have you in front of us we do have um a structured uh set of questions we can ask you the columbia suicide rating scale it's columbia suicide severity rating scale uh it's empirically validated if you ask it that way we have a much better chance of determining whether or not you might immediately kill yourself right after that um however that's like very small slice and you have to be in front of us um, actually, anyone can. Um, the Columbia is a great tool. Um, they have uh, places for lay individuals to ask that. It, it it works for anyone to ask. Like if you have someone who's were you worried about, like to ask them just to get oh, a gauge of where they're that's at. A neat tool. Yeah. So the Columbia Suicide Severity Rating Scale, um, the Columbia Project. Um, it's a great place to go for some good empirically supported suicide prevention uh, resources. Um, it's very easy. They have little cards you can print out. Um, yeah, that's a great way to check in with your loved ones um, in an empirically validated way. Usually you do actually start with asking, have you actually had any thoughts of killing yourself? And like that doesn't put it in people's mind. Um, but being very straightforward um, is the best way to start that conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so sorry, tangent. No, no, that's good. But it, it's just, it seems like, so we're, we're talking about childhood trauma and we're talking about trying to like, like, you know, rein in this, this rate of suicide but you know it, it occurs to me that like you know most of your your patients have already grown up they've already experienced the trauma and you know it, it seems to me it, it kind of like behooves us to uh to try to not traumatize children right you know <laughs> as, and do you, do you think that like you know as as a mental health professional or or as a profession in general do you, do you think that there's something that you can offer parents on 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 like advice on how to not you know, set their kids up for, for these, for these kids lifelong up. problems, <laughs> you know, well, no, but I mean like, I mean like specific things that, you know, like that, that, that you see crop up in, in traumatized people as adults. Sure. I mean like all parents try and get your shit together as much as possible, but also know you are still absolutely going to fuck up your kid in one way or another. It's a matter of degree. Yeah. Some good perspective. <laughs> um, there's absolutely no way around it. You could be a very well adjusted individual. And, like, your kid is going to hate you, and you're going to sort of fuck them up some way, because we're humans, and that's what we do. But there's a range, there's a big difference between, you know, 
average screwing your kid up and traumatizing them. Fortunately, thank for God. life. Yeah. Yes. Thank God. Um, or else, you know, we're all screwed as parents. But it's, I mean, again, it can boil under resources. A lot of these parents, like, who traumatize their kids, not all, I don't want to speak, like, but I think a lot of them are doing the absolute best they can, yeah. given the resources they have, the upbringing they had. Um, yeah, Even if they're an alcoholic parent, it's like, they are probably doing the best they can. It's not good enough. It's bad. It's yeah, abusive, right. But it's the best that they have, they can possibly do. And that, again, goes back to this larger issue, which is much harder, if not potentially impossible, hate to say it, solve, which is these huge systemic issues, which is like, why is someone an alcoholic, you know, with 10 kids working, maybe not working at all? Like, you know, like, why is that happening? It's not because they are necessarily a terrible person. It's like what made them that way. Right. You know, and, and I have yeah. some experience with, uh, with substance abuse, um, you know, because it, just because of family history. Mm. And I will say that, that almost everybody that abuses any substance, um, and, and I can relate to this myself too, is, is it's to distract you from deep pain. Yeah. Um, you know, which goes back to childhood trauma. Yeah. Oftentimes it's like, a very no no one wakes up one day and it's like you know what I'm gonna do today I'm gonna get addicted to heroin. Yeah. No one does that. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, just get <laughs> fucked up on heroin. No, uh, people can be addicted. <laughs> yeah, just on a <laughs> like no one even no one even becomes uh, you know your more typical alcoholic on a whim. Um, like it may not necessarily be trauma, but it might be uh, some other mental health or maybe not even mental health issue. Something that you're trying to distract from, you know, but. Yeah, and like it goes these things. I think what kind of going back to like maybe where we start, where we want to lump it all with um, mental health, or even trauma has become quite a buzzword, and at least in the mental health community, I think on the larger, I mean, it's huge on TikTok for what that's worth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for better and worse, <laughs> um, people want to like label it as like it's this one thing, and it's like I hate to break it to you, people, but humans are very complicated. There's never just one thing. And, but humans, we like to have one thing. That's the thing we can fix. That's the thing we can go after. It's like, it's just more complicated than that. And you're yeah. going to have to live with risk. Certainly yeah. more complicated than the legislature of the United States. Oh, can, for, uh, absolutely. Can they can't. Handle yeah. And that says a lot, you know, look how people handle political discourse. Look how people handle uh, anything, you know, nowadays they want to put people in a box immediately because if they put somebody in a box, then they know everything they, there is to know about that person and they know how to be in response to that. And I think it's the same thing with mental illness. Everybody wants to check a box and that way if they have this, then these are the ways to fix that. And it's in reality way more complicated than that. Or these are oh, the yeah. ways to lock this person away so you don't have to deal with them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just far more complicated than that. There's even like they can, treatment wise there's very few disorders that someone's going to show up to me in the office and i'm like here is the one or two ways that are empirically supported to treat you and basically everything else is trash for your disorder generally speaking it's like yeah lots of things could potentially work some probably won't but like we're gonna try a bunch there's like a handful of things of like here's the one or two things that will work for you and that's what we're gonna go after yeah one thing that i've, I've an argument that i've heard come up regularly it seems mainly with with like the boomer generation um, but some even my own 
is that uh, uh, the reason whenever something bad happens, it's because we got rid of mental institutions. And I think I wonder if it's one of those things that Andrew, I see that face you're making. That's kind of the face I make in my head. But I, I wonder <laughs> yeah, if it's one like, of those things that it's yeah, like you're talking the, about. Just to be clear, we're talking about the places where they people used to lock away, people up. Yeah, exactly. You know, difficult people. Yes. So and one of the things that I just attribute that to is that causation isn't necessarily correlation. People people latched onto this one detail that, you know, mental institutions were closed down around this time X amount of years ago. And then they happened to notice a certain event increasing after that. Uh, not that these things. I mean, Charles Manson was around when there were mental institutions around. He was he right. was eating people and, back and, when oh, yeah. you know people got locked up for that kind of stuff. But is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, among other things. <laughs> Do you but, think you know, that e- even if even if you could draw like a direct uh, you know causal relationship, like the mental health institutions shut down, and then all of a sudden these homeless people were everywhere. Even if you could say like these are these homeless people are on the streets because they would have been in a in a mental health like prison, uh, even if you can like say that that is absolutely one hundred percent true, that does not justify throwing them mentally in a mental people, health prison. <laughs> yeah, in in a into no. a cell and just like waiting yeah. for them to die. I mean, how about we um, house them and you know give them jobs that they're able to do, you know, et cetera. Yeah, that would be yeah. a better solution. Absolutely. I always just, just thought a, it was an what interesting a weird take to be like, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, always just ahead. thought it was an interesting argument that people, it was like a default to a default argument that, that certain people had because they personally didn't remember these types of things happening. And I think a lot of a big portion of it is that they weren't covered the way that they're covered now, you know, with the 24 hour news cycle, I think we've, yeah. we've fucked up like any chance of preventing things like this without any kind of proactive measures uh, like if we were to start right now you know no longer uh, so many of these people end up being copycat killers and they know this because they interview them after their after their crimes have been committed uh and many of them talk about how they they view these casualty numbers as like scores and they want to do better than the last person and I think a lot of that is the 24-hour news cycle. So I I don't necessarily think that it's I yeah, you know absolutely. me personally I don't think it has much if anything to do with us eliminating mental health institutions um insane asylums as they were called. Uh Yeah. Right. But it, but it still comes up and and it's, it's we, something we that still... I've never really had an answer to. Yeah. Well, I so I mean, like, so some of that might be your uh, whatever boomer circles you're running in, Jordan. Uh, I haven't. Oh, she fucking got you, dude. <laughs> I have a diverse I... crowd of people that hang around me, or that I hang around. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say they hang around me. <laughs> they don't hang around you. You hang around them. Yeah, exactly. Um, but... <laughs> it just keeps coming, man. It just keeps coming. They're physically enabled to push me away. I She's just. I, I am. I assert my dominance by standing on top of their cars. On Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> like so but i i can see where that argument comes from i could see that coming from that particular demographic i can see that being the demo like thinking of my parents like what they might say but it's like i see where it comes from but i i think that might even be coming from assuming your stereotypical boomer type person stereotypical not all boomers but like most of them like 
have that bias against people with mental health issues or mental illness, like the same way they do a lot of racist bias, things like that. So be like, oh, well, it's not us, it's them. It's the people who are mentally ill that we don't understand. It's the black people we don't understand. It's the poor people that we don't understand. You know, all these other people. Um, I can see that making sense in that worldview that a lot of stereotypical yeah. people like that might have. Sure. Which is ironic because the the people that they're usually talking about in these situations are the are among the generation that the boomer generation raised. Yeah. But it's not their fault. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be anything else. Yeah, it's never the boomer's fault. I mean, you know, Gen X and us <laughs> now millennials, so it's everybody. So to to kind of like piggyback on that to the stigma uh of of sorry um to piggyback on that about the the stigma that i think boomers have in regarding mental health um we were talking about how men often kill themselves more frequently than women do you think that either with the stigma or or something completely else that young men are traumatized to a greater extent than women? Or is it just that men are not given the tools required to manage their emotions? Uh, I wish I could have found some better statistics on this. But again, without having like a study reference, I know with a high degree of certainty, like at least as far as like so suicide rates, women are much more likely to attempt suicide than men, men are much more likely to complete suicide. As far as okay, so trauma, okay. that's an important distinction. Yes, that's an important distinction. Women are far more likely to attempt suicide. Um, men, when they attempt it, much more likely to die because they tend to choose firearms or other uh, ten- highly lethal means. So like that's actually true means of killing themselves. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's important to 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 mention because the number we look at is the number of suicides mm-hmm. by firearm. It's not the number of attempted suicides. Period. Com- so, completed suicides, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, and then yeah. if you look at the entire number of people who have killed themselves, the number who have killed themselves with a firearm is a completely different number. So that's actually that's a really important distinction. Yeah, yeah, and then um, even the firearms deaths would be completed suicides with firearm. Like, yeah, there probably are not that many who did not complete suicide, but it would be completed suicides. So we don't see the numbers of attempted. Um, so yeah, that's an important distinction. Um, as far as traumatization numbers are tough to get because one trauma can be a little subjective sometimes like Mm -hmm. we try not to have it be but it can be like what's traumatizing to one individual may or may not be traumatizing to another within a certain realm like um yeah i'm not gonna go as far as some of the kids on tiktok with like not getting an A is traumatizing. Like, I'm sorry, babe, that's not. Um, but, you know, your teacher <laughs> trying to do something to you absolutely is. Um, but grades are not. But it's like, so there's a little bit of subjectivity there. But in general, w- women, particularly like black, brown women, are much more likely to experience adverse events than males, at least as far as we know. Um, that said, are men typically taught healthy ways to deal with their emotions not typically and i and i think that yeah. kind of shows in the sense that the majority of <laughs> as, a, as violence, a man i can relate to this yes. <laughs> yeah oh man my uh, my wife could have a whole conversation with you about this one 
Um, she's helped me. Not, not <laughs> I don't beat her. I don't no. She's helped me with a lot of things. Is what I'm trying to say. She's helped fix me. She's she's she was that woman who was like I can fix him, and she she did. Um, no, and I mean, she we're never we're never truly it. fixed, but she helped me a lot. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I think I think the fact that the majority of gun violence perpetrators are men uh, is is something that yes. we need to look at. And, and I'm by I, like a lot. Yes. Especially mass shooters. And and then you talk about, you know, the, the majority of them are, are white men, white, young, young white men. Um, uh-huh. I, I think it's. Why is it that the majority of shooters are men? Why is it that the majority of the shooters are are like well, and why is it that the majority of shooters are from the demographic of men that should have the best access to mental health care? Well, no, we're talking about mass shooters now versus versus gun violence what? as a right. whole. Right, that's what because... I'm saying. Ma- yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. we're we're there talking about white men who should theoretically. Yes, because there's there's you know the the demographics are different depending on what type of gun violence we're talking about, unfortunately, but. Um, yeah, true facts, true facts. If we're talking about gun violence in general, then why is it that the majority of the people who perpetrate that are men? Why is it the, the why do the majority of white men or the majority of white men perpetrate mass shootings? Why are the majority of mass white shootings men? perpetrated <laughs> by white men? Yes, all men. <laughs> well, I wish I had a good answer to that. Um that I am not sure. I think I mean there are lots of theory, I think that's something we're still trying to figure out there are some theories i mean there's some feel like feelings of like well one radicalization like online a need for community and finding that community in like unfortunately right wing or far left wing more more right wing like territory i'm much more worried about the guys that get sucked into the right wing black hole oh yeah me too if just yeah just like having it together with like the violence part I've I've met extreme leftists and I am much less concerned about them. Yeah, it's definitely the same. Um, I think and some of that goes to, I mean, I think, you know, in in a lot of those circles, right, like men's rights advocates, like people are like men are being whatever. There's no true men, whatever. I'm like, well, I mean. Yeah, it's like they, feminism gets a bad rap, or the patriarchy. It's like everyone talking about the patriarchy is a bad thing. It's like well, patriarchy hurts men too. Is the one who tells you you can't express your feelings, like you're entitled to all this crap that you're oh, not. Man, yes. Keep 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 yeah. talking about that. I, I've I've harped about that on the on the show before too. That uh, oh man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I interrupted. Keep keep continue. No. Yeah. Um. Where it's like that hurts men too. It's like you know you're taught you shouldn't express your feelings or you can only express them through like beating someone up in a bar fight no de-escalation uh that's how you're a true man and it's like is it um that hurts men too and that idea that especially if you're a white male who's in this country the most whether or not your individual circumstances have made you underprivileged in certain other ways um it's called intersectionality. Like you could be a white male and have like and be poor, and then that's a marginalization. But you're still a white male and still puts you above it. And like you've been told you deserve these things, you can't express your emotions. You have to be overly stoic and not in the good way. Um, and like you just have no outlets. You have no community. You have no place you can get support. Um, 
And so you find um like the internet is awesome, but it's also terrible. And you, yeah, you find them in you find some dark cave of dudes saying it's actually all women's fault. Yeah. Or it's like and it's it's these it's the other group's fault. It's like not us, it's them. And it's the us them dichotomy that hurts everybody it's what is i believe kind of torn apart any political discourse in this country to the extent we ever had it yeah and it so it yeah that that whole kind of i usually throw feminism or put the word patriarchy out there like shuts a lot of people down so i try and find ways to like not use those triggering words you know that's a snowflake i am um but (laughs) (laughs) and those those things hurt men just as much as they hurt women in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is this is something that I, I think it may have been actually one of the first things we talked about on this podcast was, you know, that my my sort of journey uh from being um you know like a like a men's rights kind of dude in like high school to realizing that like the patriarchy is real and the patriarchy is the source of a lot of the the problems and anxieties that that I have been feeling. That, you know, I don't want to be disposable. I don't want to be, you know, uh, like, I don't, I don't want to have to be tough all the time. I don't want to have to, to, to be like this. Um, and, you know, realizing that, that, you know, this, this was a problem that I was perpetuating, uh, you know, amongst men and, and, you know, to, to the detriment of, of, of my own like mental well-being. Yeah. So to the extent that I feel like some of that influences gun violence, especially some of these mass shootings we've seen, right? Like it's like people got sucked into like humans need community unless like you happen to be a, a very specific type of far introvert that it's a disorder, which those people are still completely harmless. They just want to live in the woods by themselves. Like, you humans need community. We are tribal creatures. Uh, if we don't have it, um, especially like during COVID, where I think a lot of, I mean, this was already rampant, but I think, you know, COVID, like for a lot of things, like really lit the fire for a lot of things as we were stuck at home and online. Like you had to find community. We don't have, you know, churches for better or worse as much as we used to. We don't have actual in-person community and so people just find these things through algorithms through their buddies they just get sucked down these rabbit holes and they need the community and then they get radicalized and start and like see these other shootings and have those copycat ideas like this is a way to gain notoriety or it's a game or it's the only way they know how to express um, what's going on um i've also heard some some things bad around of like it kind of being a way to you commit suicide in a different sort of a way if you commit a mass shooting kind of like well probably going to end up getting shot this is a different way of doing that um and that's kind of an interesting theory that i have heard recently again mostly a theory still early research as far as i am aware of well especially when you're one of those people that feels like they were owed something or feels like especially that something was taken away from them and as a result you you're already lacking that community that you said because many times more often than not these kids are bullied they don't have a ton of friends they don't have uh the most (laughs) healthy home life and on top of that they don't want to be around here anymore so and i'm not speaking for all of them but Mm -hmm. it's a perfect storm and and you we have this rise of mass shootings 
in a time where overall gun violence is decreasing over the past decade uh, and over the past 20 years, actually, um, pretty significantly without, uh, con- with, with the exception of a few spikes. But it, it's interesting that we have more of these happening, it seems. And again, I don't know if it's just the media or, or if, uh, you know, if they're, they're classifying shootings that wouldn't have normally been classified before. But it, it doesn't seem to be getting better in the sense of mass shootings alone. Gun violence as a whole, yes, decreasing. But I don't know what to blame for this. And I think a lot of people feel similarly, um, which is obvious by everyone's constant push for more gun control. I don't really know if that was a question. I yeah. just, it's it's like it's frustrating because as a gun owner, and I'm sure we could all share the sentiment, I'm frustrated uh, by by a constant attack on my gun rights, even though I've done nothing wrong. But at the same time, I want to, you know, it's in our best interests to to figure out why these things are happening and to fix them. One, because we have kids who go to school and, and we are not, you know, uh, also not careless assholes who, who just want, who don't care when other people die. You know, it's, it's something that, that we want to fix. And, and it also would help us maintain our gun rights more easily if people stopped coming after guns every time something like this happened. So I don't really know what the answer is. And, and I don't know, is there, what, what are your theories on that? Well, I think it kind of goes back to the fact that, like, we all, I mean, myself included, I would love a simple answer. Love it. I would love yeah. there to be one or two things that we could do. And it's like, I think people have a really hard time accepting the idea that we don't really know, or in what we do know, involves these large systemic things that are not going to be changed overnight they probably will take a more than our rest of our lifetimes to really start to turn around it's more yeah. of like turning the titanic versus making a quick u-turn and humans hate that we hate that we hate that we can't fix a problem we hate that we can't identify a simple solution like we're, our brains are kind of like set up that way the same reason why we categorize things and people and put them into boxes it's not inherently bad it's just like kind of what we do it's what our brain lazy brain does to make it so we can function in the world which is a wonderful thing most of the time but when it gets into bias not so great um and i think it's kind of just sitting with that. like there are things we can do i think expanding access to mental health care destigmatizing like mental health or even if it's not a mental illness just like talking to someone about your feelings and getting emotional support which you wow. don't have to have a mental illness for i know crazy idea here wild absolutely bananas but you know i think especially for men of whether you're white you know the black community has and there are people who are far more worse than this than i am i don't necessarily, I mean, I'm a white person. I don't work specifically with a lot of African American individuals because um, they don't seek me out. Um, and, you know, that community tends to have a lot of, a lot of stigma, especially around um, male seeking treatment, um, to my knowledge. And it's like, yeah, it's like destigmatizing that, finding other ways for people to get communities. And like Jordan, you said, um, kind of growing up with that. 
message of like entitlement that like you are owed these things society owes you these things and then when like society doesn't give you those things because hey that's not how the world works um you can kind of easily more than lump it onto these other groups you know taking the example of white males be like oh hey it's women taking these jobs from me or it's these people of color taking these jobs from me it's the immigrants taking the jobs from me or these things i thought i deserved um, if you have nowhere else to put that anger and no other words for what's going on or happening to you, you just feel like you're being disenfranchised when it's like, eh, the field might be coming more even, which is going to feel like disenfranchisement to someone who's been um, privileged on accident. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. How, do you, <laughs> how do you explain that to somebody that, you know, it's like, the, the, you know, we say like, uh, a rising tide raises all ships, right? But, but it really doesn't feel like that in that situation. That you know, you're not you're not necessarily losing anything. It's just the gap is 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 tightening. Yeah. Um. And is it worth explaining that to somebody who's already like in that situation? I think it's important to talk about this with people who seem to have already made up their mind because it's something that if it's going to benefit society as a whole, unless we want these crazy people who just are are going to be adversarial the whole way, it's important to get as many people in these circles to understand or at least empathize with what needs to be done as possible. And that might sound like tough work because it is talking to somebody, the emotional labor involved at talking to somebody who believes something wholeheartedly different than you do. But what I tell people constantly, uh, whether it's on the, the, the page or I think we've said it on this podcast before, was even if you feel like whatever you say is not going to make a difference, showing a person that they can have that conversation with you and not get attacked will open that door later to continue that conversation. And if you make a small point, even if it's if it's not the the end goal point that you're trying to make to drive the last nail home, if you make a small point that resonates with them, then that might all that might be all you need to continue that conversation later. So it it sucks. You know, there are going to be people who who feel disenfranchised because we're 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 rising the the water level from the bottom and they've been left with their legs dangling up top because that's where they've been for so long, but we have to scoop up the people from the bottom first before it gets back up to them. And I think it's important to what? Yeah, scoop them up it's important to validate that feeling because I think, I think one thing that we get wrong as a society is when people feel that and they're saying things like that, that's them expressing their vulnerability. And regardless of how we feel about them as a person and their beliefs, they're telling us, Hey, this feels wrong. I'm uncomfortable. And I think a lot of our first reactions is to shove it in their face and say, no, your feelings are, are um, invalid because because you're privileged. And that might be the case that they are privileged, but if they feel a certain way, validating their feelings is the first step in, in really making that progress towards them understanding why it has to be done. Oh, yeah. And I see that in this, in this field. Yeah, I see that a lot in, like, um, aggressive feminist circles that are, are like, overtly, uh, you know, aggressive towards towards... Uh, like I would use the term incels, 
who who say things well, that right but i mean that that's trauma too right like of course you know, absolutely if, if, but it's if circular you're, if you're like talking to it's circular though but eventually we somebody no one has wins to, here no nobody wins yeah. some if we're constantly screaming at the person who we disagree with then nothing changes so somebody somewhere has to be like you know what like i don't personally agree with this person but they're telling me right now or i'm i'm able to interpret what they're saying as them feeling vulnerable and they're saying that to me and I need to use this opportunity to validate their emotions and then show them a way that we can move forward or something as a doctor. Uh, is that true or is, is he just making that up? I talking out my ass. <laughs> I, I would say, um, so one, the field of behavior change is fascinating. Largely goes up to like, ah, oh, we can't really do it. Um, but it's, like generally those conversations like the conversations like so anecdotally that i personally have had the most success in regardless of whether i'm talking about guns or other controversial topics it's going in like meeting the person where they are at you know not going in with this agenda of like i am going to change this person's mind because that will fail every time it's like i am going to be interested in what this person's going to say i'm going to listen to them i'm going to validate how they also validating how someone feels doesn't mean you agree with them or think their emotions yeah or think their emotions are oh yeah huge difference doesn't even think mean you think their emotions fit the facts of the situation it just means like hey you are feeling this way it sounds like you feel really angry about that like whatever it is it's like you don't have to agree with them but it goes a huge way um de-escalating conflict goes a huge way in validating um just validating how the person's feeling a lot of times people will calm a lot more down and it also then gives you a door like if you thought about it for yourself like yeah if someone were to come up to me like hey you're freaking stupid for thinking guns should exist at all i'm gonna be very defensive um yeah. that's not the way to do it um, <laughs> yeah you're a moron <laughs> until you that. agree with me basically but that's how we come at conversations like most of the time like maybe not us but like most people it's like i'm gonna yell at you until you agree with me it's like when has that ever worked it's kind of coming with like validating the person's perspective even if you don't agree with it even if you see perspectives they don't that's their perspective and you know it's you're gonna get a lot further with that person you're going to they're gonna be much more open to what you have to say and looking at it, it's like, hey, this can be an exchange of ideas, uh, you know, between two adults who are ideally at least semi-emotionally regulated. And yeah. we don't have to, con- <laughs> ideally, we don't have to convince each other necessarily. If the goal is convincing the other person to believe like you do, you are going to fail almost every time. Um, if the goal is for your, like, focus, like, so... I'm a therapist, so I'm going to be like, hey, what can we actually control? We can control ourselves. We cannot control another person. My goals in this conversation are, say, regulated, validate the other person, hear what they have to say, maybe express a few points, you know, or something like that. Like, I'm going to be much more, quote, unquote, successful because I have focused on what I control in that conversation and then also more likely to have the other person be more receptive to what I have to say. Though not necessarily if the person's dead set on not being receptive. There's literally no skill about communication style anything that i can do to get that person to be more receptive but most people again that you don't see online that you don't see on tv are willing to have these conversations that are interested and curious if the other person is is showing that they are willing to hear that person out you know 
humans we're complicated but we're not that complicated we but we all want to be heard we all want to be communicated with we all want to be treated like we are a person with feelings and experiences that are unique and different and i don't think we usually come at these conversations particularly the more charged ones um with those assumptions no definitely thank you for that that's uh that that was incredibly incredibly validating holly i appreciate you uh you you (laughs) yeah But I think it does. It it says a lot, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like, like your shirt says, you're not an asshole. I'm not an asshole. I try not to be. Um, there is, there's a lot to be said about that, and you know, you look at these extremist organizations. People aren't born extremists. More times than not, the people who belong to these organizations, these these racist organizations, or these, um, you know, incel groups of people that that are just in these crazy women hating echo chambers. We're not born like this, but they found a person who finally listened to them and then validated their emotions. But the difference with this, you know, you being a therapist and them being uh, a group of people hell-bent on, you know, hating a particular group (laughs) of people, is then they then, after they gained that person's trust, directed those emotions towards a thing or a person. And But the tactics are the same as, as... trying to convince somebody of something or getting them to hate a group of people because the first thing you're doing is listening to them. And that is extremely valid. Love bombing, Jordan. Love bombing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love bombing. That's a, it's a thing that abusers do. Love bombing. Abusers, cults, uh, things like that. Yes. Love bombing, extremely yes. validating your emotions, telling you you're great, all these things. Yeah. But do it in a good way. Don't do it in a nefarious way. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it for evil. But yeah, yeah. When it's Use your powers for, like, for good. Like, love bombing. Yeah, and like that's like no, it, it's like and, connection. Yeah, and it it has a connotation of being disingenuous too. Um, you know, when when people say love bombing, they they're usually talking right about like you know, they're not doing it mm-hmm. uh, to be like actually supportive, or if they're being supportive, yeah. it's only to the to the goal yeah. of of sort of drawing them in. Yeah. 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 When like yeah, that's pretty, like it's the same kind of thing. But like, when it's love bombing, it's yeah, usually for a manipulative purpose, intentionally manipulative, or pretty close to it. Well, yeah. think about it. If your goal is to change the other person's mind, technically you are being manipulative, but it's for a cause that you that you believe in. I mean, if you think sure. about it, it's yeah, not necessarily I mean, if you're trying to get somebody to see your point of view, not just you know the whole world view as 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 it is, but. If my goal is to convince somebody, hey, I'm right and you're wrong, versus, you know, just just feeling validated, uh, where was I going with that? Then that's that's essentially what you're going to do. But there was a, uh, it, it is it's something that it works to have conversations with people. I'm I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding like I'm doing this because I don't do this. Yeah, you're out I'm just the weeds, trying bud. to. Yeah, I don't have an <laughs> army of people who just uh, who no, just think... ramble and have like an incoherent set of beliefs like I do. Trust me, <laughs> I would I'd be a horrible cult. No, leader. I get what you're saying. I get I get what you're saying is that that you yeah, know the, that... The, the tactics of people, the tactics of trying to genuinely support someone, and, and the tactics of people trying to manipulate them into being like weird cult people, uh, can seem very similar. But I think that there's a big difference. Yeah. Sorry, hold on. Let me wait till my dog's done barking. Is it Millie? Yeah, it's Millie. I think there's a big Millie. difference 
when you're uh, genuinely representing your beliefs and when you are uh, trying to get somebody's like trying to like melt melt someone's brain into your little like agenda or whatever. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say. I mean, the reason I think those tactics are so useful, like whether it's um, deliberately trying to extreme, you know, pull someone in an extremist group, cult, otherwise is because they tap into something that's really a fundamental human need, which is to be listened to, validated, accepted, loved, all of these things, which are trying to strategies of people who are abusers or cults or whatever to get people in is because like it's, it's tapping into a basic human, just fundamental need that a lot of people just are very lacking, whether it's because they have a traumatic childhood or not is they just lack the community. They feel misunderstood. And, you know, I I don't want to agree with all the right-wing white males out there, but it's like some of it's like I see where they are coming from in their worldview that they might be, they feel misunderstood. They feel like their rug has been pulled out from under them. I mean, right. like they're wrong, but like I see where they are coming from. But everyone's a victim. Yeah, everyone's a victim of their own lived experience. And Right. Sure. Yeah. It's it's like that. Your well, perspective that might be skewed. No, it, of course not. But but you you know it may skew your perspective in a way that that causes you to view the world uh, in a way that it isn't in a way that it isn't. You know, and mm-hmm. that's that's how racists are are made. That's that's how anti semites are made. They're they're right oh, yeah. because of certain injustices that you believe were committed to you or to people like you by a certain type of person, you feel that you develop these feelings towards that group of people. And it's no different whether it's politics, whether it's, uh, you know, your favorite sports team. Yeah. And and I'll say this, you know, as someone who came from on that journey from fragile white malehood, um, (laughs) you know, I, I don't think I was wrong about what was bothering me. I think I was wrong. I know now that I was wrong about what was causing it. So, you know, I, I, I hear these people, you know, these MRA guys talking about these things that are like genuinely upsetting to them. And I get it because I mean, those, those are real things. Those are real problems. It's just, they, they don't understand, um, the, the, the mechanisms that are, that are, that are creating these problems in their life. Yeah. Like it's one one example that I that I fall back on is uh, that the courts are unfavorably skewed or uh, un- are skewed in favor of women uh, in like mainly divorce cases. Yeah, and and l- but, less true now in a lot of places, but still. Well, but the reason being true. is because historically, yeah. historically, the reason why we have alimony, the reason why we have these things historically, because it's because women came from relationships where it was a a uh, single earner for the household and right. historically the man you was the one job yeah fucking up and so like it's, it's the it's the persistent idea that women are helpless and that men can be replaced that's the that's yes. the foundation of patriarchy yeah. both things can be true but also not be a particular group of people's fault right exactly and it's you know it, it's and it's, it's not like it's not like um you know, women aren't doing this to us and it's not like men are purposefully doing it with full knowledge of what they're doing. Yeah. I would say most of the case, probably not. Yeah. 
But, you know, I guess that's why talking to people helps. And even if yeah. you're talking to somebody, having a podcast helps. Yeah, that's why. That's why we, two straight white men, made a podcast. Three <laughs> white people on a podcast, yay! Yeah, and I want to say original. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's. So I get sent so many. This is so silly. So many things from people who are like, this this. <laughs> somebody sent me a video the other day of this dude. Uh, he was wearing these like blue shade glasses and a, and a backwards hat, and he was just farting into his hand and smelling it. And he was like, mm, "Yeah, that's very good, very good, very good. That smells so good. Mm, yeah, I have a podcast." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Thank you. This is. Oh I'm so God. glad. This is how you see me." But anyway, so mental health is a complicated thing. But we Gun fixed violence, it. We solved it. Yeah, we, we solved it, it. Gun violence is a multi-headed beast and i don't think anybody has one solution to fix it all <laughs> i'm glad we've it's made a, such it's progress a beast with two backs jordan two backs yeah <laughs> what does that yeah. mean it's a, it's a beast with two backs the the, be, the the beast with two backs, you don't know. <laughs> oh, no. oh, okay, and now I got <laughs> the beast with two backs. I, oh no, I've dated myself. <laughs> it's too I, esoteric. I don't. That's what they. That's what they call two people boning. <laughs> yeah. Really? You never heard that? No, I've never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. How am I not in this right now? I told now? a this joke is... and nobody got the, it. The two-back piece? I've never heard. Yes, I get it when you say it again. Like, it makes it makes sense. It just, I don't, <laughs> I didn't get it. I've never heard that before. Oh, all right. Well, I'm embarrassed. I just all didn't right, understand Andrew. you the first time, Andrew, but I, I knew it as soon as I heard the story. Oh, jeez. I thought we were still talking about gun violence. Sure, I was like, what the fuck is No, I guess not. <laughs> it's all the boomers you're hanging out with. Seriously, nobody talks. Actually, like the that. boomers would know. Yeah, the yeah, boomers. That's a, that's boomers a boomer phrase. <laughs> Man, all right, well, that really tickled me. Pink. Anyway, I think we solved it. Though. About yeah. time to hit the old dusty trail. <laughs> as, in... as we say in the Midwest, Welp. Well, well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, oh. man, I don't even know. No, that's a op. Op, that's a Minnesota thing, isn't it? Op. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any know. Minnesota listeners can. Find I, I am from it. Nashville, living in Chicago. I don't know anything. Yeah, I've never been. I've never been. Uh, I've never been exposed to the Midwestern culture. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, sorry. It's just this, that... it's just subtly <laughs> shit on the Midwest right before we end the podcast. <laughs> like, ah, oh, fuck them. <laughs> She lives in the Midwest. I was, well, I was going to Sorry, say what Midwest culture, but that's that's so fucking rude. That that, that totally. Oh, jeez, that's not good. <laughs> no, I'm originally from Nashville, so you know. No, I yeah, don't know, some, Holly. Never been. They got some some music. There. <laughs> Nashville seems like a chill. They got some music there. Not chill. Yeah. Cool. It's not chill. Sorry. It's not cool. chill. It's not chill. cool. I get <laughs> so cool. many of my original words mixed up. The Midwest has culture. The Midwest, <laughs> more presidents have come out of Ohio than any other state. Did you know that? <laughs> and astronauts. I did not. Somebody told me that yesterday because yeah, I shared my They come out of Ohio, game. but they never go back. They leave Ohio. <laughs> That's why they go to space. <laughs> 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 they get as far away as possible. 
Oh my god. Oh, sorry, Ohio. Oh. Sorry for your, your sorry, difficulty. Sorry, Ohio. Right You've now. had a no. Ohio's <laughs> had a rough time lately. A lot, a lot of bad shits going on in Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first I've ever. I wonder realized how many new that... cryptids are going to come out of all this. Uh... Look at what? us just talking over each other. It's the delay. I'll fix it. And <laughs> fix it in post. Oh fucking shit! <laughs> fix it in post. Yeah. Holland, thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been a very informative episode. Uh, regardless of oh, my attempts you. to derail it and and ruin all sorts of cohesive thought, um, I appreciate you keeping us on track. <laughs> you just got to shorten the questions, man. You just got to. I just have to stop. Listen, you, you write the questions. You should ask the bit. questions too, because I just I can't fucking handle it. <laughs> no, I try to. Come on, I should. Now. I got to get better about it. I I have to do something where I read Andrew's questions beforehand. Cause Andrew, Andrew writes the questions. I do the editing. That's usually how it works. And unless I have a question. And, that and my questions are not necessarily meant to be read verbatim. You know, they're the, not meant it, to be difficult questions. To, no, to they're ask. organized. <laughs> yeah. No, I can no, tell no. Andrew's he, the one who put the show notes together. <laughs> yeah. It's got, it's got bullet points. <laughs> no, but I, I have to write like a, like an abridged, I don't even know. I don't know what my problem is, but I appreciate you being understanding and answering you just the questions have to, to the best you have of your to ability. Accept, you have to accept that you can ask a question, be specific and concise, and that people are just not going to deliberately misunderstand you. So I feel like a lot of your struggle <laughs> is that you, you start to ask a question, and then you're like, wait, I need to elaborate on every aspect of and nuance yes. of this question because I, I don't want to be misunderstood. Everything. Yeah. That's like you you're gonna just, be misunderstood you just by question some people. Go. Yeah, yeah. I somebody shared something with me once after I I said something on Instagram that got me in trouble. Uh, even though my intentions were good, I I said, "Well, I didn't mean for it to which get time? taken that way." I don't remember what yeah, it was, but it. yeah, which time? I don't remember what it was, and I don't remember uh, what I said, but uh, I do remember my intentions were good. And they shared something that said. Speak not so people understand you. Speak so that they do not misunderstand you. And ever since then, I've felt this overwhelming urge to clarify everything that I ask. And it ends up biting me in the ass because I never get to the end of my fucking question. Oh, yeah. I, I tell people all the time, like, people do this in therapy, like patients, like, they start to caveat all their stuff. I'm like, dude, it's a safe space here. Just a ask it. Say it. Your podcast is a safe space, Jordan. No, it's not. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is technically because I have the power to take out whatever I want. You know, not that I I try to do this, minimal editing in, in this in this yeah. virtual room. Like once you put it out into the world, then no, the world's not a safe space. They're right here. Like just assume most people are going to try to deliberately understand you, like Andrew yeah. was saying. Don't caveat it to help. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for this mini therapy session. I appreciate that. I'm sure I've had this this conversation. It's a hundred dollars pay up. You can pay me in merch. I think I've done that. Well, no, you won. You won a thing. <laughs> you, no, I won. Yeah, you won. That's I, I had to clarify. First person I didn't won give the raffle. you anything. I won. Yeah, that That's was like so my bad. no. It was I've complete dumb luck. My life. It was pretty fucking no, great though because it was like it was the largest uh, purse, I guess, if you want to call it, because it was when nobody was claiming the prizes. So I was like. I'm just going to go straight out and just call one every week 
and every month yeah, he, it's going to increase. And it was like 125 like, bucks. <laughs> yeah, and she won. Yeah, he was like, what do I do with all these uh, awesome. fucking uh, unclaimed rewards? And we were like, add them up. Roll them into each other. If nobody picks yep. it up, just uh, just yeah. keep, keep sweetening the pot. Keep going. So it worked out. I finally won. And it worked out. Worked out beautifully. Well, anyway, Holly, how we Thank end you. our episodes here, if you've listened to any of the episodes by now, is we ask you if you have a piece of advice for anyone. It can be related to your field, guns, the podcast, or anything in general. What would that piece of advice be? Damn it. You know what? I I have, I was like, I need to think about this question because they asked me and I was going to think about it and then I did it. Uh, <laughs> um, piece of advice. I would say, so the thing that's going to come to mind is not going to be the thing that I'm going to think of like five minutes after we hang up. Um, but, of course not. No, of course not. But I think some of it is, so I'm a, I'm a therapist mode right now. So I would say like maybe the biggest thing would be don't believe everything you think and feel like take it as data and information and be skeptical of like how resonant it feels and be like, let's look for alternate information. So like our emotions, our thoughts are very important, but they're largely involuntary random things. Don't believe them at face value, like explore them, take them as data points, look at other data points that potentially disconfirm it. And don't be so fused and attached to everything we think and feel. I think most people would do a lot better with their mental health in their life if they were able to just take a step back. Doesn't mean that's not true. Just if I'm feeling sad, let's maybe like take a step back from that emotion and not be so married to it. I dig that, man. I like it. That resonates with me as someone yeah. who has been sad. Yeah, we've all been sad, man. Someone who feels emotions. I can relate. Emotions! I I relate to this. Totally not robots. Yeah. Definitely not. Look at these humans thinking that I'm blending in so well. Yeah, absolutely not a fed. No, definitely not. Thank you, Holly, for coming I'm not the fed on your page. You know, <laughs> none, I hope none not. of us. Thank none you of us. Now you're the Fed on our page and our podcast, so you've you've made it in. <laughs> you've broken down our barriers. <laughs> the only one who's been thinking. Did you? Hey, did you hear that uh, YPT are all Feds? Yeah, what? yeah. Apparently, this is a new thing. They're <laughs> not. Yellow they're pearl. not. Sarcastic. Sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, Every one of them. Yeah, yeah. And they're white, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, I don't even know. Anyway, just bad Twitter takes. Anyway. Twitter, Twitter is not stuff. a real Twi- place. Don't pay attention right. to anything kind. on Twitter. All right. All As right. we say guys. in uh, Connecticut, see you later, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> 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 <laughs>